ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name is Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. A Darwin-based resources company has announced plans to become the only commercial fluorite miner in Australia. Now, fluorite is a critical mineral in Australia as of December last year, and we've been in a deep uh, period of diligence at the company to assess the resource, and we're pleased to be in a position to confirm that we're pushing ahead with the project. Also today, if the remote community of Pigeonhole is to be relocated out of a flood zone and moved to higher ground, whereabouts will it go? Well, Hatesbury Cattle Company says it has been in talks with the Territory Government. I don't think we'd object to it. Like, we've done a similar thing with them when they built an airstrip up on top top there, so we're more than happy to negotiate and plan around with it with them. Yeah, you'll hear more from Rusty Richter at Victoria River Downs before 1.30. A really big country hour today. I hope you can stick around. We are broadcasting across the Territory on the ABC. G'day there if you are tuning in via the podcast. Our top story today, this is big news. The NT Supreme Court has today dismissed a challenge to Singleton Station's groundwater licence. Traditional owners from Ali Karung and the Arid Lands Environment Centre had both questioned the legality of the station's licence to extract up to 40,000 megalitres per year, which is the Territory's largest groundwater licence. And after being before the court for 16 months, Justice Peter Barr has today dismissed those arguments now allowing Singleton Station to push forward with its plans to develop a huge horticultural project about 350 k's to the north of Alice Springs. Peter Wood is the chair of Fortune Agribusiness, which owns Singleton Station. He spoke to Dan Fitzgerald just a short time ago about how it all unfolded this morning. Uh, Well, this morning, after a pretty long, lengthy process, uh, the court handed down its decision on the the, the judicial review of our water extraction licence for the Singleton Farm, and uh, they dismissed the uh, the claims against the uh, against the licence, and uh, and upheld basically in the process upheld their licence, which is good news. And what was your reaction to that decision? Oh, obviously pleased, Dan. It's been a, been a, a quite a protracted, lengthy process, um, and it does enable us now to get on with the the next. The next stage of the project, which is to deliver the environmental impact statement, which um, the EPA, you know, issued our terms of reference for that late last year. So we'll get on with that. Uh, we can now get on with that with some with some confidence. Yeah, this court case it lasted for sixteen months or so. How much of a cloud did it put over the project? Uh, cloud's probably not the right word in the sense of whether we thought the uh, the project would ultimately. Uh, get to a position where it could proceed, but it obviously caused a significant delay. And um, delay does include cost, and also it just delays the, the, the start of the project and the and, you know the the ensuing benefits that will accrue from a, from a, from this project. Some listeners to the Country Hour have suggested to us that this case was always more about slowing down your project, and it never really had a chance of getting up. What do you think? Oh, look, I can't speculate on that, Dan. I don't know what the motives were. Um, 
and uh, and I don't want to uh, make assumptions about what was what were the motives behind the, the claims. I think uh, the police processes, be them regulatory processes or legal processes, are there for a reason, and uh, and um, and those processes were being followed. Um, if that was their game, well, they, I guess they succeeded, but um, equally they may have had some very valid. Uh, concerns which they wanted to uh, test through the through the court from what i've heard uh, traditional owners who were listening into this decision in alice springs this morning they're pretty disappointed by the decision do you think you'll have a chance of working with local indigenous people on this project going forward oh look that's always been our our wish our hope dan and uh, certainly we will make every effort we possibly can to to get really meaningful engagement going uh, with the local the local uh, indigenous folk uh, with the central land council this project has the potential to quite transform the the well-being and livelihood of a lot of people who are in a pretty disadvantaged location at the moment and uh, we're determined to to, uh, to to ensure those people really benefit from the from the project in a whole multitude of ways it seems like the relationship, uh, though, is, is pretty broken. Central Land Council supported this court case against uh, your project. Do you think it can be repaired? Look, one would hope that any any relationship can be repaired um, with, with some honest talking and uh, and you know goodwill on all part, all, all sides. So I, I'm still confident we'll get to that point then. On the court case, what's going to happen with the costs for this case? That's to be discussed, um, Dan. We haven't had any discussions on that as yet, and uh, it's, it's early days, as you know. We haven't even read the reasons. There's quite a lengthy uh, document that uh, the court, the judge has provided, his statement of reasons. So we need to work through that and just understand understand uh, what's behind his decision. But we'll we'll come to that uh, we'll come to that issue in the near future, I guess. You've still got to put together an environmental impact statement um, before. Uh, it can be properly approved. Uh, where is that at and when do you hope to finish that? Well, we only got the terms of reference late last year for that in, uh, EIS, Dan, so it's it's a good couple of years program that needs to be conducted. So uh, the end of the end of next year would be, I would say, the, the earliest um, and it could be a little bit after that as well. And for those who don't know, what goes into putting that document together? Uh, look, well, the terms of reference is quite a lengthy document, so it details all of the uh, the requirements that we have to, uh, to fulfil, uh, the information we have to provide. So it does uh, it requires some further work in the field. Um, uh, we'll be doing some drilling to confirm certain parameters around the aquifer, and most importantly, we'll be seeking to engage very fully with the uh, with the local people to make sure any concerns they might have are understood by us and uh, and we can work with them to address those concerns um, and also to uh, make sure that uh, we maximise the opportunities for those people as well in the project itself. There are a few small plots of some trial crops in the ground at Singleton Station. How are they going? They're going great. It's only We've got one, one plot, if you like, but we're, we're trialling a number of different uh, crops and the results have been fantastic uh, to date. Um, We've got some citrus, we've got some grapes, uh, we've got some avocados and, and a few other crops as well we're trialling and we're hoping to expand that a bit further this year um, into some other ones so that uh, when we finally do get the go-ahead to start, uh, we've got uh, got some you know, good data to pick the right, uh, the right crops and the right varieties.
That is Peter Wood, chair of Fortune Agribusiness, which owns Singleton Station. The station has had a win today in the NT Supreme Court. A small crowd of about 30 people gathered in the Alice Springs Court to hear this judgment via video link. People there included some traditional owners of Singleton Station and also members of the Arid Lands Environment Centre. The Environment Centre's Chief Executive, Adrian Tomlinson, says he's disappointed with today's decision. It's a devastating decision. Um, You know, this is a rare move by Arid Lands Environment Centre. It's the first time we've taken um, this decision of um, going to court. And the reason we did this, it's the largest water licence in the Northern Territory and and the largest groundwater licence in Australia, as we understand. Um, Understand the impacts of this site. Like, it's a shallow groundwater area and we know these shallow groundwater areas are, if you like, the oases of the desert. Um, they support the cultural values and the large trees like we see around here. And this proposal, um, you know, proposes over an area like 50 kilometres to lower the water table in a way that will impact or either damaging or destroying these ecosystems. That's a red flag when the Uh, traditional owners and and local people are so unanimously opposed to this. They know their country. If there was a benefit, they'd stand to benefit, and they're absolutely unanimous that this proposal is causing impacts on their country and their culture and potentially sacred sites. This is a very bad um, outcome today, but I do want to emphasise there is still hope. This is based on the water laws we have now. Clearly it shows the water laws are broken, but there is also an environmental impact assessment process happening and that still has years to run. This is the first licence that's been given the highest level of environmental impact assessment and that's the chance to really drill down and understand these impacts. This should have happened first, but we can still, when we expose this, have a look at the deep trouble, deep lowering the groundwater table this causes. There's hope that we can finally get the right outcome and this... Um, this water licence can, can be stopped. Have you talked to local people yet about the decision and how are they telling you they feel? Um, we had Maureen Nampajimpero Keith, who we've worked with and works with the Water Justice Project, which um, is, is a great reference and really shows uh, what the country's like and what, what, what they think. Um, I, I don't want to put words in Maureen's um, mouth, but, but clearly it was very upsetting. But I do. You know, I do emphasise to everybody: we'll keep we'll keep fighting this because it's simply too too precious and too important that groundwater. You mentioned you'll keep fighting. How do you plan to do this? In the first case, we'll, we'll take our time to read the read the judgment now. Um, but, but like I say, number one is the environmental impact assessment for the Singleton license. We'll work. We'll keep prosecuting that argument about all the risks that there are to the environment and making sure they're protected and making sure that the decision is calibrated to, I guess, environmental risk, principles of ecological sustainable development and local concerns. But the other part of this is the water allocation plan for the area which is being reviewed. And, you know, we'll read the decision before we go far into that, but but we need to think about what this means for the water allocation plan. If, If... if decisions like this, we, we need to make sure that that is conservative and doesn't enable more of these type licences to be issued. That is Adrian Tomlinson, who's the Chief Executive of the Arid Lands Environment Centre, speaking to Charmaine Allison this morning in Alice Springs. 
On the text line 0487 1057, a message here from someone who's put no name to their message. And they write, on the water licence decision, the NT government bulldozer strikes again, says Anonymous on 0487 1057. It is big news today. So just repeating, the NT Supreme Court has dismissed a challenge to Singleton Station's groundwater licence, a staged water licence, which if it eventuates in its totality would be up to 40,000 megalitres per year. Now, the Arid Lands Environment Centre, it was represented in court by the EDO, the Environmental Defender's Office. I think it's fair to say the EDO has had a challenging month. I'm joined in the studio by Dan Fitzgerald. Dan, EDO under a lot of public scrutiny at the moment for a few reasons. Let's start with its role in the federal court case against Santos's Barossa gas plans. Remind us what happened there. So the Environment Defender's Office was representing some Tiwi Island traditional owners um, who'd been arguing that Santos's Barossa gas project was a risk to Indigenous cultural heritage. It lost that case. It was dismissed by the federal court this month. And the court actually found that some of the evidence that was presented by the EDO involved a confection and coaching of Indigenous witnesses. Justice Natalie Charlesworth, in her judgment, said the evidence based on cultural mapping presented by the EDO was so lacking in integrity that no weight can be placed on it. Now, the Environment Defender's Office is a partly taxpayer-funded organisation. It gets some of its uh, funding from private donations, and that is why it's under some scrutiny in regards to... Yeah, what's happening at the moment. Um, just yesterday, the federal opposition leader, Peter Dutton, he vowed to defund the EDO if the coalition wins government. That has actually happened before. Uh, Tony Abbott, he defunded the organisation back in 2013 and that federal funding was actually restated by the Albanese government. Uh, this week, the EDO's chief executive, David Morris, he wrote to supporters acknowledging that that federal court case involving Santos had been critical of some aspects of the handling of the case, and it said that the organisation was treating that with the utmost seriousness. And here in the Territory, the Chief Minister, Eva Lawler, has been looking into the organisation as well. Yeah, she says uh, the NT government's $100,000 contract that it has with the organisation needs to be reviewed. I think, yes, there does need to be some consequences for anybody who's lied, uh, particularly around something that's so important uh, to the Territory economy. We fund the Environment Defender's Office, um, and I've already spoken to Kate Warden, the Environment Minister, to say we need to have a look at that contract. That is the Territory Chief Minister, Eva Lawler, raising some concerns about the Environmental Defender's Office. You can read more about these stories online if you search for ABC News. On the text line, Sprinkles, g'day Sprinkles, he says, Nice to see some blue skies, sun and gentle sea breeze again. I best get out and fuel up the mower. Nah, the boat sounds better, says Sprinkles this afternoon on 0487 991057. To everyone in Timber Creek this afternoon tuning into the program, I trust you are well. I wonder if any food has arrived. Yesterday when we spoke to local Rainy Holcomb, she was talking about how supplies were running extremely low 
in Timber Creek. How the school hadn't been able to open yet because, well, the teachers weren't there. But also there's just not the supplies. There's no food in town. The creche couldn't open because it's got no food. We'll talk more about the issues there at Timber Creek next. And if you're in town and you've got any news to share with the rest of the Territory, please do send it through on that text line 0487 991057. Right across the Territory on the ABC, this is the Country Hour. Our top story today is that the Territory Supreme Court has dismissed a challenge to Singleton Station's groundwater licence. Uh, on the text line, someone here says, Our towns and communities don't have enough in our allocations to water ovals and public places, but our farming neighbours can use massive amounts for free. They can plant trees, water them, then go, Nah, don't want that, and bulldoze the lot, then suck out our aquifers dry, growing more stuff that they might go, Nah, can't be bothered with that either, says someone here on 048799 now, on the Country Hour yesterday, we had a good chat to Rani Holcomb, who is in Timber Creek. The town remains isolated by floodwaters and is expected to stay like that for several more days while the Victoria Highway is closed. And she said food supplies were getting very low in town and that residents had been taking matters into their own hands. We haven't had any supply drops or anything for us here in the township itself. No food or, or anything's been dropped off sort of um, to us. So Potter uh, hitched a ride in a helicopter over to Averne and borrowed a car yesterday to um, go into Kununurra and get a few supplies just to get, get the town soaked through until the roads do open. We've heard stories of the government organising supplies to communities like Yarralyn, but no supplies going to the town of Timber Creek. No, that's it. And we've Jeez. been sort of asking and waiting. I think the community's got some supplies. I think the police might have had some supplies dropped off. Um, but the townspeople, yeah, we just went up and down our street a couple of days ago and just said, look, we're actually going to go in to Kununurra. What essentials do you need? And, and it's, it's mainly just like bread, milk formula, nappies, yeah. and a little bit of fresh fruit and veg for people. Um, but, yeah, we, we were told there were supplies coming and it got cancelled because of weather in Darwin. Um, but that was sort of three, four days ago, so obviously that wasn't rescheduled. Um, but, yeah, there's been no drop-offs. We've heard that there's been drop-offs, that nobody's seen anything that has been dropped off. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the the people sort of um, of, of the township itself, uh, yeah, we haven't received any supplies whatsoever. So that's Rainy Holcomb on the Country Hour yesterday. I'll share with you now a Facebook post that Rani has done this morning. Have a listen to this, right? And, and let's have a think about what's happening here for a town in the Northern Territory. She writes, Today is day 16 of being isolated in Timber Creek due to flooding. The Victoria Highway in both directions has closed and will be for several days before it's open to the east and possibly longer to the west. In those 16 days, local surrounding communities were evacuated. Some flown out, some camped at the school, and they were cooked for and accommodated. Even dog food for their dogs has been flown in. They have since been returned to their communities. Not once, she says, in those 16 days 
have the townspeople of Timber Creek been offered any assistance or supplies? She says our local supermarket closed down on the first day of the floods and the roadhouse has not been able to receive supplies. Yesterday, my husband Potter returned from a trip to Kununurra with supplies where he had to get a helicopter and borrow a friend's car, all off our own back and at our own expense. We went down the local streets and asked what essentials people needed, and Potter did the shopping for 11 families in Timber Creek. Most of the items were simple essentials, such as bread, milk, baby formula, and nappies. As a town, she says, we are disgusted at the fact that there has been absolutely no assistance for us, and there's still no word of anything while we continue to wait patiently for the roads to open. This is Rainy Holcomb in Timber Creek. She's got a couple of young kids. And she says the Territory Government has given the town zero assistance during this flood event. What is going on? Here at the Country Hour, we have contacted the Territory Government. We've invited people on. We've asked the local member, Duran Young, to come onto the Country Hour. But at this stage, right now, we have received no comment from the Territory Government. To those in Timber Creek, I hope you are well, but it sounds like you're being forgotten. Hello, my name is Jihan Abdullani and I am a PhD student for growing Australian native rice and you are listening to Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. In a moment, you'll be hearing from a resources company that's based in the Territory. And this week, it's announced plans to become the only commercial fluorite miner in the nation. Our fluorite is a critical mineral in Australia as of December last year. And we've been in a deep uh, period of diligence at the company to assess the resource. And we're pleased to be in a position to confirm that we're pushing ahead with the project. That story soon. Also in this second half... If the remote community of Pigeonhole in the Territory is to be relocated out of a flood zone and moved to some higher ground, whereabouts will that community be relocated to? Well, Hatesbury Cattle Company says it has been in talks with the Territory Government. I don't think we'd object to it. Like, we've done a similar thing with them when they built an airstrip up on top top there, so we're more than happy to negotiate and plan around with it with them. Yeah, that's Rusty Richter at Victoria River Downs. You'll hear more from him in a moment on the Country Hour. And we're hearing from you on 0487 1057. Just before the one o'clock news, I shared with you some comments from Rainy Holcomb, who's in Timber Creek, and clearly frustrated about the lack of assistance for those living in Timber Creek, those in Timber Creek who are isolated, surrounded by floodwaters. And she says after 16 days of being stuck there, the government still hasn't provided any assistance. Uh, One text here that says, well said, Rainey. And Matt, don't forget there are probably tourists that are stuck in Timber Creek. It's not a good look for the Territory. Bad news travels faster than good news. And someone else here says, regarding Timber Creek... This sounds very similar to what happened a few years ago when Marakai was isolated by floodwater and was left to fend for themselves, while Nayu on the daily was evacuated by choppers at huge taxpayer expense. Seems to be a bit of a pattern here. Someone 
no name attached to it on zero four eight seven double nine one oh five seven. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Sally Cutter is there this afternoon. Uh, Sally, I was out in Darwin's rural area this morning and kind of nice to see a bit of blue sky, to be honest. Oh, yeah, I think anybody who is reliant on solar for either hot water or power <laughs> or will be loving the fact that you can actually see the sun. Yes. How long is it likely to stick around for? Well, we're probably going into a fairly quiet phase for several days. So today is probably the last, I think everything's eased off. Looking at the satellite picture even now, it's pretty, there's a little bit out there, but not all that much. So it might take a little while for anything to get going this afternoon. But then we're moving into, so there's only sort of a slight to moderate chance of seeing rain. So it's a more typical almost inactive monsoon. We're still going to have the westerlies on the surface. I suppose it's, it's still build-up conditions. The trough is a, is a, a mid-latitude trough through central parts. We've still got the westerlies, but we've got the southeasterly steering coming in. So it's, we're sort of going back into that build-up type conditions. So plenty of sun between the clouds. So we can still get the dumps of rain. The, we do still have the flood warning for the the daily. The we are it's just with a little bit of rain around. It's just prolonged the moderate flooding. So we're now expecting it to fall below that moderate level on Thursday afternoon. Yeah. And remain above the minor until Saturday. And there is still a flood watch in place for parts of the Carpentaria Coast and Eastern Inland NT. What can you tell us about? Ex-tropical cyclone Kiralee, what's it doing? Spinning away very happily and with total disregard for the fact that it's over land. So it's it's moving north. It has moved north overnight, and it's still and it's still moving north. If anybody looks at the Tennant Creek radar, it's only half an hour, so you won't see that much movement. But say if you look at it now and then look at it in an hour, you'll see that it has actually moved closer to the top of the the frame. So we expect it to move north and just sit this side of the coast or the southern side of the coast. So third by tomorrow, Friday, so starting to move south again, and then it will come back down pretty close to the border so we, mm. it may be far enough in that the NT doesn't get the really heavy rain associated with it but there's always the risk that it's just that little bit further west or we get you get under one of those big bands going into it and we could get a fair bit of rain and then sort of over the weekend it'll probably move sort of to the south and by ne- early next week it should be out of our hair. There's some models that do take it back north but there's probably a fairly weak system. Yeah and um, I've just brought up the Mount Isa radar and uh, you're right Sally Cutter it's a tropical low doing its best impersonation of a of a cyclone the way it's just spinning around there on the radar and it looks like this afternoon there's wet weather at places like Kemmerwheel um, looks like maybe somewhere like Avon Downs is getting a bit of a rain because of this yeah. situation, yep. so mm. yeah, so just just the far eastern parts of the bark at the moment are just being clipped by the outer edges of some of those bands. So, and then as you go further south, it's a combination of that plus the high pushing, and that's caused those windy conditions. Tomorrow, the fire dangers aren't quite to the through the northern Barkley. We're looking at sort of right up the high end of high, so it's it's also raising those fire dangers. The the dry sort of air that's being brought up on the western side of it. Yeah. Meanwhile, in central Australia, gee, there's some um, there's some pretty severe temperatures being recorded this oh, afternoon. 
yep, is hot down there. The re, to, even this change isn't really giving too much, or southerlies aren't giving too much respite from the very hot temperatures. And, and if it's not very hot, it's hot. So there might be a little bit of raised dust with those winds that we're seeing sort of through the southern half right down in Simpson District. But generally, it's going to be to not much respite until yeah. I can't give you any good news for that. Yeah. We do have heat wave warning out for the central parts of the NT too. Anything else we need to be aware of this afternoon? No, just if you are heading out on the waters, just the as Kiralee or ex Kiralee gets close to the coast, it might pick the, cause those winds to increase a little bit around the northern, west, and eastern coast waters. So just check the forecast before you head out, and then just keep up to date with any flood warnings and watches that we do put out. Yeah, okay. Thanks so much for your time this afternoon. That's okay. That is Sally Cutter there at the Weather Bureau. I'm just looking at some of these rainfall figures in the 24-hour period to 9 o'clock this morning. Some decent falls in the Darwin Daly District. So Adelaide River East's recorded 55 millimetres, Channel Point 35, Elizabeth Downs Cattle Station 72 in the gauge, Mount Nancar 37, The Pines 63, Tortilla Flats 39, Adelaide River Post Office has recorded 27, Howley Creek 55, Bachelor Airports had 43, and LaBelle Downs Cattle Station 43 in the gauge. Never misses, LaBelle, never misses. Upper Adelaide River has recorded 52. My name is James Gorry from Trainsafe NT. Just before you drive out bush, just do a quick inspection under your car or under the bonnet. So just keeping vehicles clean so we're not spreading biohazards, soil diseases or weeds. And enjoy listening to the Country Hour. And uh, Dan the Man Fitzgerald, producer Dan, you might need to get on the phone and call Sally Cutter back. A few keen listeners have just picked up that Sally said the Tennant Creek Radar... Someone here says, Sally just said the Tennant Creek radar. I can't find it. Someone else says, Sally just mentioned radar at Tennant Creek. Does she know something that we don't? Better call her back, Dan. I'm, I'm assuming it was a, a slip of the tongue. But we better call her back just in case. We might have buried the headline, is the old saying. <laughs> Gee, bad work on my behalf. I should have picked up on that as well. Uh, our top story today is that the Territory Supreme Court has dismissed a challenge to Singleton Station's groundwater licence. have just received a statement from the Central Land Council. It says that it acknowledges the NT Supreme Court's decision today to dismiss legal challenges to a controversial water licence. We're considering the judgment carefully and will explain it to the native title holders and remote communities affected by the water licence and seek their instructions, says the CLC's Chief Executive, Les Turner. It says here that the CLC believes the groundwater licence decision highlights the need for robust and transparent water planning in the Northern Territory. If you missed our earlier conversation with Peter Wood from Fortune Agribusiness, the company that owns Singleton Station, that'll be up on our podcast Later on this afternoon, it is 14 past one. Now, the remote community of Pigeonhole in the Northern Territory, it's been devastated by floods twice in the last 12 months. And as you might have seen on the ABC's 7.30 program last night, there are growing calls for this community 
to be relocated to higher ground. A chopper surveys the scene. The power of the Victoria River in full flow. Water levels peaking at more than 24 metres. I'm very angry, you know. I've been angry for the last 20 years to relocate that community. Yeah, reporter Matt Garrick has been looking into this. Matt, can you remind our audience about these two recent floods and the damage that they did cause to the community of Pigeonhole? So in last March, we saw a pretty significant flood hit Pigeonhole. There's photos of uh, flood waters up to the tops of roofs and, and really just buildings destroyed. We saw the Pigeonhole School completely inundated. Again, two weeks ago this month, Pigeonhole is flooded again. Uh, that has obviously come so soon after the first time it flooded that we've seen homes that weren't even finished yet uh, inundated by floodwaters, uh, or at least their building sites were damaged by floodwaters. The NT government's told us that they don't even know how much damage has been done to these sites yet, as the contractors aren't back. Temporary accommodation that was brought into Pigeonhole to, uh, to look after contractors and workers that were there to essentially rebuild the community have been completely swamped by this latest flood. Uh, and how big is the community? The community is about 120 people. The last census has it at that. You hear kind of fluctuates between about 100, 150. So it's not huge, but still, you know, it's got all the the infrastructure for a pretty decent sized place. It's got a shop, it's got a school, it's got a clinic, and all of it is built in this floodplain area or area that NT government maps show is prone to being inundated by floodwaters. And there's been talk about relocating Pigeon Hole for decades. Why hasn't it happened? Yeah, that that's right. There was a big flood in 2001. And since then, a lot of the residents uh, and local officials, uh, people like the mayor of the Victoria Daily Regional Council, Brian Pedwell, have been talking about, let's get this up to higher land. Uh, there are higher, you know, there are places around that area which could be used for the purposes of pigeonhole. Their airstrip has been moved into station land in recent years. So they have they've they've kind of said, well this should happen. There's been some reluctance, the government especially has said, uh, from people within pigeonhole. It okay. hasn't necessarily been unified uh in the past regarding this move. So the government has, hasn't has acted on the calls in the past. Uh, they've been blamed for ignoring the calls and, and not doing anything, you know, rebuilding new houses in this floodplain, you know, area of Pigeonhole. Now there seems to be more of a community consensus that it is time to move to higher ground. And where is that higher ground? That is the, the where they're really uh, saying it could could be is they'd have to excise part of a nearby cattle station, the Victoria River Downs station. Uh, we chatted with Rusty Richter, who's the general manager out there, and he basically said he's been contacted by the Northern Land Council and the Northern Territory Government, and that negotiations to uh, using that piece of land are underway. Uh, look, we were contacted end of last year, which is for some of the first contact that we've had through last year about relocating onto some high ground, which adjoins us. Um, 
but that's really the main contact that we've had, you know, through the NLC slash government officials um, wanting to find some locations to relocate the community. Um, but I do find it strange where they actually have it's – it's actually a community on freehold land and if you do look at the map of the, the area they've got, they have got land on high country um, on their land that they could relocate without being a part, you know, having to worry about, you know, in negotiations with Hatesbury or any other landholders. So, look, why do you think they want to move to that pastoral land? Uh, can, can you – what would be the reasoning behind that from your perspective? Look, some of it could be location, you know, around the airstrip, which, you know, if I'm totally honest, you know, Hatesbury's got no objectors to it. Like, we're happy to negotiate with them and talk to them if, you know, to work in with the the elders and government officials. Um, We relocated the station in, in 2001. So the station and the community used to live side by side along the river. And after the flooding in the 2000, 2001 wet season, we decided to relocate our station, which is something like seven kilometres away from the community there now. So in theory, uh, you, the station would be happy to facilitate pigeonhole relocating to the station if that is what the community determined? Is that correct? No, I don't think we'd object to it. Like we've done a similar thing with them when they built an airstrip up on top, top there. So half the airstrip, um, half the airstrip comes onto our land. So it's in in the higher land away from the river, um, and we've done a similar thing with them before. So we're more than happy to negotiate and plan around with it with them. Why then? Uh, you've got people like Brian Pedwell who say they've been calling for this for twenty years. If why has it taken so long? Look, I'm not sure. I'm sure there's politics involved with it. Um, there's people's opinions in it, um, and I'm sure there's things. You know, people like to live in their area where they come from. So I'm actually I, I'm not real sure why nothing's been done. But if you look at it, it got inundated with a flood in 2023. Um, that all the houses went underwater and not even 12 months later it's been inundated again. So to me it makes sense. Um, Yeah, I think it's something that the, you know, government officials should look at and the Northern Land Council should look at as well. That is Rusty Richter from Victoria Riverdown Station speaking to Matt Garrick. You can read more about this story online right now if you search for ABC News or ABC Seven thirty. It is 22 past one here on the Country Hour. Now, the Territory Government is expected to lay charges over alleged damage to the Wave Hill walk-off site, which is a National Heritage-listed location. I'm joined in the studio by Dan Fitzgerald with the details. What's happened out at Wave Hill? Well, at Wavehill, Matt, this is the place where back in 1966, a group of about 200 Aboriginal station workers walked off the cattle station in protest over work and conditions, and which paved the way for Aboriginal land rights right across the country. So it's an important location. A statement from the Department of Territory Families, Housing and Communities, which looks after heritage sites, said... 
An investigation highlighted significant damage to the Wave Hill site, including the demolition of a historic windmill and fence that mark the walk-off route. Other damage includes the installation of a large solar panel system, fences blocking access and removal of interpretation markers. That's what the ABC has been told. Now, we understand that charges will be laid against McLaughlin Pastoral for damage to a heritage-listed site. The maximum uh, penalty for that charge is nearly $80,000 or two years in prison. And the NT Chief Minister, Eva Lawler, says uh, she's been made aware of these allegations of damage. I mean, well, I'm aware of them, but I don't have the absolute detail about that. But I understand that it's a matter for the courts. But, you know, I think we all clearly understand and know the importance of the Gurindji track to the Gurindji people, but to Territorians and to Australians. And so those heritage sites absolutely should be maintained. Now, the Federal Minister for Environment, Tanya Plibersek, who oversees the National Heritage List, has also been looking into these allegations. A statement from her says, any alleged destruction is deeply concerning and particularly upsetting for the local community. We will continue to work with the NT government to investigate the allegations under federal environment law. Now, the ABC has contacted Jumbuck Pastoral, which is the operator of Wave Hill Station, for comment. Uh, but we're yet to hear from them. Okay, thank you very much, Dan Fitzgerald. Now, just before you run out the door here, Dan, um, our audience who have some of the best ears in the business, they were listening to our weather chat with Sally Cutter and they picked up something that Sally said. Sally mentioned a radar at Tennant Creek and our audience feels like the country I may have just uncovered one of... The big stories of the decade. After all these years, all these years of waiting, has Tennant Creek got its radar back? You've been back on the phone with Sally Cutter. What's the news? Well, unfortunately, there is no news. There. Oh, no! <laughs> Still no radar in Tennant Creek, sadly, and no update on when that might be change. Uh, Sally apologises. She just made a slight error in what she was saying. She meant the Mount Isa radar. The Mount Isa radar. Yeah. Um, So Sally Cutter does send her apologies. Uh, Still no radar for Tennant Creek. Okay. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Sally. To all those people texting in about the possibility, the dream of a Tennant Creek radar coming back online, apologies. <laughs> apologies. I can sense the excitement from some of these messages. I really can. Uh, it's time now on the Country Hour to head to the sale yards. With all the latest prices out of Dublin, here is Elsie Adano. Quality was generally fair to good and numbers increased as agents offered 250 live weight and open auction cattle. The usual trade and processor buyers were joined by feeders and restockers with an additional processor now in the mix. 
prices were generally firm to dearer, with ideally finished cattle selling to a premium this week. Vila steers sold from 290 to 334 cents, as Vila heifers ranged from 238 to 300 cents. Yearling steers ranged from 250 to 322 cents, as heifers sold from 240 to 308 cents. Grown steers sold from 244 to 280 cents, while heifers ranging from 270 cents to 294 cents per kilogram. Light cows sold from 92 cents to 184 cents. Medium cows range from 200 to 254 cents, with heavy cows selling from 248 cents to 286 cents per kilogram. Light bulls sold from 200 to 242 cents, with heavy bulls selling from 200 to 236 cents per kilogram. This has been Elsie Adamo filling in for John Traeger for the MLA Livestock Reporting Service. Thank you for that, Elsie. In the live export trade, the news is there's no news. No ships going out of Darwin, and we'll be talking more about this on tomorrow's Country Hour. Now, a massive apology. I promised you that uh, you'd be hearing from a resources company based in the Territory that has announced plans to become the only commercial fluorite miner in this nation. We've run out of time for that story today. I promise. I promise it'll be on tomorrow's Country Hour. And I apologise about that. Our top story today is that the NT Supreme Court has dismissed a challenge to Singleton Station's groundwater licence of up to 40,000 megalitres. Earlier on, we heard from Peter Wood from Fortune Agri, which owns Singleton Station. Oh, obviously pleased, Dan. It's been a, been a, a quite a protracted, lengthy process. Um, and it does enable us now to get on with the, the next... The next stage of the project, which is to deliver the environmental impact statement, which um, the EPA, you know, issued our terms of reference for that late last year. Yeah, that was um, Peter Wood from Fortune Agribusiness speaking to us earlier on. If you missed our conversation with him and also comments from the Arid Land Environment Centre, that'll all be up on our podcast later on this afternoon. A very, very busy Country Hour, and again, I do apologise about uh, that fluorite story. It's, uh, it is quite incredible. I'll make sure we share that with you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your afternoon and keep it rural.